0: Welcome to Life on the Watercress Line. In this series, we follow the activities of the line throughout the year. We go behind the scenes and see all aspects of the operation. Episode 2 War on the Line, where the Watercress Line recreates the atmosphere of the early 1940s. In this episode, I visit Ropley and Arlesford stations. I'm stood here at Ropley Station, standing on the footbridge overlooking the platforms. In one of the platforms is a light locomotive on its way down to Arlesford to pick up the first train of the day. All around me people are setting up. In the car park we have vintage cars arriving. There's a steam traction engine just lighting up its fire for its display later on today. On my left there's somebody setting up for the unexploded bomb, where they defuse a bomb. Usually successfully, but occasionally I'm told there's a loud bang. Further on up we'll come across a Glenn Miller tribute orchestra playing music evocative of the 1940s. The signal has dropped, the locomotive is ready to go on its way down to Arlesford to pick up the first train of the day. For those of you that don't know the Watercrest line, Ropley is where the locomotives are stored and also where a large amount of maintenance takes place. So they have a large shed here which can maintain all their locomotives to keep them in good running order. They also have some major projects on, one of which is their rebuilding the Canadian Pacific, one of the Merchant Navy class, and we'll be doing a feature on that in a later podcast. One of the things that Ropley Station is renowned for is its topiary. The topiary is over 120 years old and has survived many acts of vandalism to still look magnificent at this time. In the background, there's a military truck driving up, probably with the military police who will be carrying out searches on people on all the trains to make sure that they have the right identity cards.
1: GW8-TBG from 8 uh,
0: wol Yeah, OK, all noted. So the doing well. So I'm here at Ropley Station in the radio tent with a gentleman who's in military uniform, our radio operator, and originally Canadian, I believe.
1: The uh, Canadian suit is from my father-in-law, from Halifax,
0: I presume Halifax, Nova Scotia, not (laughs) Yorkshire.
1: Yeah, that's correct, yes. So what are you doing here? Well, I'm demonstrating the use of World War II radio equipment. Um, I've got a 19 set here, which was used in tanks and jeeps, and on uh, D-Day as well.
0: So this has genuine historical relevance to this weekend?
1: Yeah, it certainly has, yes.
0: How far is the furthest that you can either transmit to or receive from?
1: The set is designed for 15 miles, and I've been getting about 200.
0: So it must have been over-specified.
1: <laughs> no, 15 miles solid, no matter what it is in, it had to cover 15 miles.
0: That would be 15 miles on open plain or in a mountainous region?
1: Or in a, a buildings, anything like that.
0: How reliable is it? How often do you have to take it apart?
1: In the eight years I've had it... When I first got it, and about a month ago, I had to change a valve.
0: Not only is it old, but it's pretty reliable to actually have so little maintenance.
1: Yes, that's right. One thing, I had to replace a rotary transformer.
0: Somebody's, by the sound of it, trying to communicate with you, so I will leave you with it, and thank you very much.
1: Thank you.
2: So here at Roppley Station there appears to be an unexploded bomb. Yes, it's uh, 250kg airdropped ordnance. German came in overnight. And you're going to be removing it? Well, we hope to uh, defuse it first uh, and then we'll get the sappers to put it on a lorry and take it out uh, into some uh, very large farmland and blow it up out there. Does it ever go wrong? Oh, quite frequently, quite frequently. We can um, come across a new fuse or um, the fuse can be damaged by uh, the height that it's dropped from and it causes all sorts of ticklish issues.
0: Have you personally had any ticklish issues, as you put them?
2: Well, we've been quite close to the explosives once or twice, yes, yes. But if you're, if you're far enough away, then you don't suffer. But mines are more problematic than their dropped ordnance. They're normally quite a, quite a stable issue. You'll be diffusing
0: this bomb today, or does it take a longer period of time?
2: Well, fortunately, um, we've waited the uh, prescribed 90 days, and we've dug the shaft, the sappers have dug the shaft, so uh, we hope by about 3 o'clock this afternoon we'll be ready to um, start tackling the fuses in the bomb.
0: Well, I wish you the greatest of luck in tackling the fuses. Now,
2: more seriously, can you tell me what you do with all of this and where you go? OK, yes, so we're the 25th Bomb Disposal Living History Group, uh, we've been doing this for over 11, 12 years. It was uh, invented really by two chaps at a, a little place called the Rural Life Museum in Tilford and um, it started there as a little hobby, grew into something much larger and so we travel around most of the south of England um, doing demonstrations on how the 1940s bomb disposal officers worked.
0: And I hear you do occasionally create loud bangs.
2: Oh yes, yes. Uh, we can't hear at the railway. They're they're a little bit worried about uh, confusing the drivers with the debts on the line. So uh, for the last eight or nine years, we've been allowed to make a very small noise. But before that, we could only use flash pots until we convinced the um, MD that we were quiet enough for the drivers. Where are
0: you based?
2: Well, I'm based in Sandhurst. We've got uh, members from North London, from uh, Alton, and uh, from Medstead. Funny enough, but uh, yeah, I come from Sandhurst. Which has military connections of its own anyway. Yes, certainly does. I drag all of this stuff around the south-east of England in in our 1940s trailer, which uh, doubles as the accommodation for the weekend. I drag it with a Series 2 Land Rover, so it sometimes takes us a little while. We were invited by the Black Country just recently, the Black Country Museum, to go there, but it'd take us too long to get there on a a Friday afternoon. I'd have to take too much uh, time off work, so south of England's our range. Thank you very much. No problem, thank you. I'm here with a very
0: well-known band leader, whose band is starting to assemble for the
3: day and tuning up their instruments. Good morning. Morning, morning to you. Good morning. And how are you today? Yeah, I'm very well, sir, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and uh, good to meet you as well. Yesterday I saw a lot of people enjoying your music. Yeah, believe it or not, there were over uh, 10,000 people here yesterday on the rail and quite a lot up here. And because we raised money for the Not Forgotten charity, we raised 368 quid, And we hope to do the same today with a bit of luck. The weather's not been with you, though, today? No, mate, it is what it is, though. You've just got to crack on. Soldiers didn't mind getting wet. No, I agree with that. But I,
0: I must admit, yesterday when I was here, I was starting to get a little bit cold in the wind.
3: Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Um, some of our guys brought uh, warmer jackets today, just in case. But I think, mate, if you keep boogieing, you keep warm. And I see you're in your jacket anyway. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you're out here conducting in the rain and, and your other jacket gets wet, you've got to turn up with something different the next day. And how long have you been doing this? Uh, six years now. Do you come here every year? We come here every year. We do the uh, Royal Hospital Chelsea. We do St. James's Palace. Uh, Some of the band have been to Buckingham Palace with the gear. Uh, So we'll go where it is. If we can raise money, we'll go anywhere. Even to America, if the people pay, right? (laughs) Well, thank you very much. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, well done.
0: In the spirit of the era that is being recreated here this weekend, you can buy clothing and you can, of course, have your hair done in a 1940s style, and I believe manicures and things like that. I'm with Sheila Love, the event organiser for War on the Line. What would you say is the best part of the whole weekend for you, apart from when the final whistle goes, the last passenger has gone, and you can say, that's it for another year?
4: I think the friendliness of especially my group of regular reenactors, the ones that book in and turn up at nine o'clock in the morning so they're here before the paying customers. They're all really friendly. They're all nice people. They enjoy what they're doing. They just do it for fun. So meeting them every year is very nice.
0: The actual charge that you make for a day's travel for the people who who, who come along and buy a ticket is only a very small premium on the normal everyday charge, I That's believe. That's
4: right. We, we only put two pounds on. We don't Actually, charge for the event, you're paying a premium price to travel the line on that day, and then you can enjoy everything that's at the stations.
0: In your planning, you sit down, you have your ideas, you have your hopes because of the reenactors and and the sideshows and whatever that you'll be putting on. Do you ever have a panic?
4: I'd probably panic about a week before but by the time it gets to near the event there's not much boy panicking because it's too late to panic. They're all friendly and usually we don't get any nasty feedback from people who are disappointed. Once you explain to people that all the things you're seeing are provided by volunteers, people are much more relaxed about the event.
0: I have to say I was very, very impressed. I was present for both days or parts of both days and everybody seemed to be really enjoying themselves
4: yes we were lucky with the weather especially on the Saturday the Sunday wasn't quite as nice but this year I had a particular focus to increase what we had at Medstead station um, so that more people got off there because your ticket gives you freedom of the line for the day so you can get on and off at any stations and If people are getting on and off the trains, they get a much better experience of the event, much more of a feeling of wartime travel, in that if you got off at a station, you weren't always certain if you'd get back on. And my reenactors, the pre-booked ones, are very good at giving up their seats if the train is very full, and in effect giving it a wartime atmosphere, you know, sit on their suitcase in the corridor.
0: I saw plenty of that kind of behaviour whilst I was travelling, so yes. Oh, good. And I have to say that the service that they had on on Sunday morning at Medstead I thought was a very nice thing to do as well.
4: Yes, well, at our event we don't try and, in effect, glorify the war. We're trying to give people a taste of the atmosphere of travelling on the railways in wartime. Because obviously we wouldn't run the event if it didn't have any link to the railway.
0: Now you've got your normal day job back and then you'll be preparing the Christmas leave, which I believe is just after Christmas.
4: Yes, we do that on Boxing Day and the day after. It's a slightly different event in that very much that's focused on travelling on the train. Because to be honest, if it's freezing cold on Boxing Day, you're not going to wander around Rockley Station for two hours. So we have entertainment at both of our terminus stations, Alton and Altsford, um, and music and entertainment on the trains.
0: Well, I shall come back and talk to you about that event nearer the time. Oh, but thank you very much for your time today. Because I do realise this is a very busy time of year for you.
4: Yes, we have quite a lot of children. I, I only have 60 tomorrow. But <laughs> in, in this lovely weather, tomorrow I should be dressed as Mrs Bear. Thank
0: you very much. <laughs> When I arrive at Arlesford, I'm going to go out into the car park, because I'm told that there are US Army personnel dancing there. Above the shop at Arlesford, there's a big display of military-themed material. Some of it's just on display, other parts can be bought. I will leave the last words of the weekend to our Mr. Churchill. In
5: 1940, this country stood alone. Hitler's armies were poised across the channel, that narrow stretch of water that has protected this island for centuries. We were alone, and we were facing a threat which was pure evil. I had the honour of coming to power with a, a difficult situation. We did not know then, as we know today, that we were going to be victorious. But we had faith, determination, and a will to win. These are some words that I used at the time. We shall go on to the end, we shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the hills and in the streets. We shall never surrender. Thank you and God save the King.
0: I thank the passengers, reenactors, volunteers, and staff of the Watercress Line for their help in making this podcast. This podcast is published by the Mr. T Podcast Studio.